Welcome to This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Now is your chance to get caught up in all that's happening in technology around Akron and the rest of the world. Now here's your host, Gene Destro. This week, the continuing and ever-increasing effects of climate change and how that will affect us here in the Great Lakes region. First, because of an ongoing drought out west, water rationing is in effect in Los Angeles with people restricted to watering their lawns only once a week. More from CBS News correspondent Steve Futterman. Dimitri Polizus with the Metropolitan Water District says the crisis is real. There may come a day when you go to the tap and the water won't come out. This homeowner says he's ready for his lawn to turn brown. To me, there's more important things in the world to worry about than uh, a nice lawn. Steve Futterman, CBS News, Los Angeles. In addition, the White House announced an action plan on global water security and efforts to build drought resilience. Vice President Kamala Harris. Billions of people around the world do not have access to clean, safe water. And in the coming years, climate change, population growth, urbanization, and environmental degradation will only drive that number higher. By 2030, almost half of the world's population will struggle to meet their water needs. Think about that. Almost half of the world's population will struggle to meet their needs to have access to water. And it will, of course, have then a profound impact on America's interests around the globe. Water insecurity makes our world less stable. When water is scarce, it becomes more difficult for communities to produce food, as these experts have talked about, more difficult to protect public health and to drive economic growth. This, in turn, as has been discussed, can lead to mass migration which can put significant pressure on neighboring communities. Water insecurity also makes our world less safe. Disputes between countries or communities over limited water resources can predictably, and by extension, over time, provoke armed conflict. But because Northeast Ohio is adjacent to the world's largest repository of fresh water, the Great Lakes, we wondered how these concerns might play out for us. Kent State University Assistant Professor of Geography, Dr. Cameron Lee, is an expert in applied climatology. Yes, we have access to all this water, and that's a great thing. And if you could isolate the Great Lakes and kind of turn it into a closed system where we're independent from the rest of the world, then we'd probably be okay with the amount of water that we're getting. But that's not the way the world works, right? So there are still going to be people living in these drought-stricken areas, and they're going to need water. And one of the sources that they might increasingly look to is the overabundance of water that we really have here in the Great Lakes and whether or not they begin to, you know, try to tap our water resources is a good question. It's something that I really don't have an answer to, but it seems like something that is imminently possible. How exactly you're going to get water from the Great Lakes to these more drought-stricken areas is another good question, as well as the fact that the Great Lakes don't just belong to the United States, but also to Canada. 
So whether or not Canada is going to be on board with that is a whole another question. So as far as the Great Lakes for projections into the future, our precipitation is probably not going to change all that much. We're expected to get a little bit more precipitation and then especially more precipitation in the springtime, a little bit less precipitation in the summer, but you know not nearly as much to offset the increases that we get in pretty much uh, every other season, but especially the spring. So does that mean that we're going to have to rethink agriculture in terms of what we plant in our area and the crops that we produce around here, if we're going to be getting more rain during a certain time than we normally do? Yes. And it's not just necessarily around here. If that's what you're considering just around here, then yeah. And it's not just precipitation, but also changes in temperature that will dictate the kinds of crops that we are able to grow. And also the relative kind of change, I guess, not only in the amount of precipitation, but the frequency of it, right? I think some people don't really think of the fact that you could have the same overall amount of precipitation, let's say 40 inches of rain per year. But if you get that in fewer events, right, instead of 41-inch events, I'm just, let's take a hypothetical here, we get 40 inches in 10 4-inch events, right? Then that creates not only those massive flooding events when they happen, but longer times in between the precipitation events. So both more floods and more droughts, despite the fact that we have the overall same amount of precipitation. So that can change the types of crops we need both more drought-resilient crops for those longer times between precipitation and possibly more water-tolerant crops because you have those massive flooding events, right? And whether or not that precipitation is falling during the growing season is going to be important too. So it's not as simple as just looking at one statistic, overall precipitation, but there's a lot of different factors, seasonality and the relative frequency and intensity of those precipitation events Uh, that also need to be taken into consideration. Um, And then when you add that, when you add kind of the economic standpoint to that for a location that, let's say, is currently growing, I don't know, wheat, right? If with warmer temperatures, are they suddenly able to grow corn? Maybe, but is corn going to be a profitable crop for that location based upon all the different economic factors that go into producing at that location, right? Distance to market, and whether or not that particular market wants corn versus whether or not they want wheat, right? And so there's, there's a lot of different factors at play here that, yes, will all need to be thought out when it comes to climate change. Uh, as far as Northeast Ohio or Ohio in general, I don't have exact types of crops and, you know, what we can and can't grow in the future, but a lot of this will need to be thought out. Kind of going back to the Great Lakes, you talked about the possibility that there might be some elements that might want to tap into that. I guess I was thinking also about maybe not people tapping into it from the outside and, you know, literally sucking the water out and sending it somewhere else, but more like people actually moving from the West to the Midwest. And then there would just be a greater call on that water source because there's more people around here. Yeah, I mean, I don't see that as impossible. Eventually, right, the the people that are in these water-limited areas, eventually they are, if there's not enough water, if they don't find a solution satisfies all the population that's there. Yeah, people are going to have to move. Where they move to potentially 
could be here if they recognize that water is the reason that they have to move as opposed to something more indirect where like, oh man, the cost of living here is getting so expensive. Well, part of that's probably because water is getting more expensive because it's so scarce, right? But they might not put the two together. And so instead of moving to an area that is has a lot more water, perhaps they move to an area that is a little bit less expensive at that particular point in time, but it's still a water-limited area, you know what I mean? So connecting these people with the idea that climate change is kind of the reason that their lives are being upended or that things are becoming more expensive or the reason that they have to move in the first place, that can help with the solution because instead of moving into areas that are vulnerable to climate change, now I'm not saying that there are are areas that are completely invulnerable to climate change. Yes, we will be impacted by climate change here in Northeast Ohio, but we're not going to have the water problems probably that Phoenix is going to have, right? And so if people recognize that, then perhaps they'll stop moving to places like Arizona and start moving to places that have the resources currently to feed their population, to have clean, healthy water for agriculture and for consumption. And so we could see people move to these particular areas, but that connection has to be there where they recognize that it's climate change. And a good uh, example is hurricanes. You know, with hurricanes, people love living along the coast, right? It's a very picturesque area, aesthetically pleasing, but especially in the southeastern United States, it is hurricane country, for the lack of better words. And after a hurricane comes, people just rebuild back in vulnerable areas again. And with a hurricane, people know why their house is destroyed. With climate change, if they don't have that connection, realizing that it's climate change, they might just rebuild in a different area that is just as prone to issues of climate change, just as prone to drought. That will be problematic for everybody. And so we need to get people out of vulnerable areas. Okay. So then just to wrap it up then, in your opinion, after looking at some of the policy statements that came out of the White House in the past week about, you know, government action trying to move forward on a plan to make the U.S. more resilient and more resistant to the damaging effects of global climate change, what's your response to that? And do you think we're moving in the right direction then? So reading over their action plan, you know, it's moving in the right direction. We need to have a recognition that this is a problem. We need to do it as soon as possible, and we need to have a plan in place to address the issue. And that seems like this is what the White House is trying to do with this action plan. What the specific actions are, I mean, they have this plan organized around three pillars, right? And these three pillars are great, um, but I don't see any specific actions in there, at least at the moment. And so how this actually plays out remains to be seen, but it's a good start. That was Kent State University Assistant Professor of Geography and Applied Climatology Expert, Dr. Cameron Lee. I'm Jean Destro. Thanks for listening. Stay happy and healthy, and we'll see you again next week. That was This Week in Tech with Gene Destro. Tune in next week for more tech news on 93.5-1590-WAKR and WAKR.net. <laughs>